We love having advertisers to support our show who fall in line with the sort of things that we're doing. So in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com slash so smart and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little bit better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. And if you've ever taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new, it's different, so I'd really love for you to take it all over again. Once you've completed the survey, you get entered into a $100 Amazon gift card drawing. So here's how you do it. Go to podsurvey.com slash so smart. That's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y. Podsurvey.com slash so smart. Thanks. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 97. Since this episode is all about scams, I thought I'd tell you about one of my favorite bits of research into scams themselves, the psychological research conducted by Cormac Hurley at Microsoft a few years back. The name of the paper is Why Do Nigerian Scammers Say They Are From Nigeria? You can find it for free online, but uh, I'll have a link for it at the website also if you want to go click on it instead of remembering all that. Now, the full paper is full of very, very academic language and lots of technical jargon. So if you'd like to read a well-translated breakdown of it, I recommend an article by psychologists Christopher Chabri and Daniel Simons. Yes, I talk about them all the time when they've been on the show. They're great guys. Uh, they wrote about it in the Wall Street Journal under the title, Why We Should Scam the Scammers. So here's, here's what happens, okay? Hurley at Microsoft found in his analysis, using something called signal detection theory, that if you want to create a successful email scam, it needs to be super ridiculous and very obviously fake. The idea is to send out as many emails as possible, blanketing just about everyone out there with a computer and an internet connection with your pitch, saying something like, I'm a Nigerian prince, I've been displaced, I have a bunch of money in the bank, but I can't get to it. If you give me your bank info, I can transfer it over and leave you a million dollars for your troubles after I take out, you know, my whatever gazillion dollars that I'm putting in there for a minute. Now, obviously, most people will see something like this and see right through it. And what Hurley found was that this is exactly what the scammer is counting on. Since they're sending out millions and millions of emails, it would be tremendously counterproductive for them to hook someone early on just for that person to turn out to be savvy enough or smart enough to catch on down the line. According to Hurley, Simons, and Chabri, it takes about six months of emails after that first contact to slowly reel someone in for the actual exchange. So it would be impossible to run a successful scam if your emails were so good that you got thousands of replies early on from people who just are not going to commit after six months of seduction. So you can't waste all that time if you want to run a successful operation. So to minimize their efforts, they instead... They, they make their emails just silly enough that most people will delete them right away. And only the most gullible people, the most easily fooled people, will actually reply to that very first one. And these are the sort of people who won't get cold feet way down the line or, or ever get suspicious at all about what might be going on. Now, that might only be a fraction of a single percentage point of all the people they contact. But that's all it takes, just a few people a year. And by making their emails obvious scams, they can make it much, much easier to locate the perfect targets in their pool of potential targets. And this is true for all email scams, not just the Nigerian Prince versions, but also the ones that try to get your passwords and all the other ones. They all work pretty much the same way. They're stupid and ridiculous and obvious. And the reason for it is because this is a feature of 
blanketing a large pool of potentials so that you only get, you can sort out. It's a sorting mechanism for finding just those specific people who are most likely to fall for a scam after six months of work. If you'd like to learn more, you can read Why We Should Scam the Scammers at WSJ.com or read the paper by Hurley, which is available for free at research.microsoft.com. My name is David McCraney. This is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. And in this episode, we're having a conversation with Brian Brushwood, the creator of Scam School, a series of videos showing you how hundreds of scams actually work and teaching you how to use them for good, how to entertain friends and score free drinks in bars, and how to protect yourself from scams. He also does lectures about scams and paranormal beliefs, and he has a new show on Nat Geo called Hacking the System. Radio edit. This is a repeat of an episode from a while back, and he's got a new show now. It's called The Modern Rogue, and it is described by Brian as Brian Brushwood and Jason Murphy, professional idiots, field test the things that will make you the most interesting person in the world. You can find it at themodernrogue.com or youtube.com slash Modern Rogue, and you can see that they test all sorts of stuff. Uh, each episode has a theme, scoundrel, warrior, gentleman, surveillance. They all do different things. Learn how to how to use a bullwhip, <laughs> how to make a mixed drink, how to turn a lighter into a flashbang grenade. It's really fun stuff. It's very Brian Brushwood. Check it out, themodernrogue.com. You will hear all he has to say about scams and the minds of magicians after this break. And now we take a break from our show for a word from our sponsors. Casper mattresses. Sleeping on a Casper mattress is such a fantastic experience, and they do something that is really unique. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and if you don't love this mattress, they just come and pick it up and refund you all of your money. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit to it, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on that mattress. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. They have supportive memory foams that create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce and they give you free shipping and returns to the United States and Canada. And again, if you don't like this thing after sleeping on it for 100 days, they come and get it. No questions asked, and you're never charged for shipping. With more than 20,000 reviews and an average score of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com so smart and using the offer code so smart terms and conditions apply learning new information helps us approach the world in a smarter way and that's why i love i love having a subscription to the great courses plus it's my favorite thing in the world you get unlimited access to engaging video lectures and when i say a lecture i don't mean one video i mean that course has sometimes 30 different videos about all sorts of topics, history, science, politics, how to take better photos. They're vetted, they're professionals, it's well-made, it's great. And they have award-winning experts that you've heard of, famous people, whatever they are. They're always PhD-level super geniuses that tell you how the world works. And The Great Courses Plus has more than 8,000 lectures, new ones added all the time. And you can stream them from any device. And oh boy, do I have a good one for you this time. It's called Outsmart Yourself brain-based strategies to a better you. It explains brain hacks that we should all know. How to avoid wearing glasses around someone you're interested in, why that's important, why not to tell too many people your long-term goals, what that would do to you, what exercises you should do to keep your brain sharp as you get older, how to beat procrastination by doing nothing, how to plan better decisions, how to meditate, how to sleep better. It's a really cool course. And right now, as one of my listeners, you will immediately... And right now, as one of my listeners, you will immediately get a free month of The Great Courses Plus when you sign up at my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. And with this free month, you can watch all of Outsmart Yourself, Brain-Based Strategies to a Better You, and probably at least three more. It's a really cool offer. Get started today by signing up at thegreatcoursesplus.com 
slash smart. That is, third time's a charm, this puts it in your brain, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. And now we return to our program. Ryan Brushwood has been touring the country, the nation, the world for years doing his special blend of magic, mentalism, and sort of a punk rock magician style kind of way. And he's also moved into the world of educating people about scams and the way people are sort of uh, seduced by the paranormal and belief and all sorts of strange things like, you know, psychics and uh, Bigfoot and aliens and crop circles and all that sort of stuff. He goes around the world showing people why people believe those things, why it persists, and how you can avoid getting scammed. Here's a little clip from his lecture that he does on college campuses called Scams, Sasquatch, and the Supernatural. ...has walked away disappointed. But nobody believes in ESP because of some freaking study who says that ESP exists. People believe in ESP, why? Because they had some kind of phenomenal experience that they just can't explain, right? How many of you guys have had that where uh, maybe you, 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 you want to call your friend, so you walk over to the phone, you pick up the phone, and there's no dial tone because they're already on the line? How many of you guys have had that? Ooh. How many of you guys have had that where you're thinking of a song and then you're humming the tune, you get in your car, you turn on the game, and not only is that exact song playing, but it's at the exact part where you were when you got in the car. How many of you guys have had that? Yeah. Could it be coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. I tell you what, let's go ahead and ask this. Uh, the thing is, when it comes to this, I want you to realize that very few people outside of mathematicians have a good intuitive understanding of probability. Probability is one of those things that is very hard to get a good, correct grasp of. And keep in mind that the odds of one coincidence, for example, uh, the odds that tomorrow afternoon at 2.15 p.m. I'll get into my Jeep Grand Cherokee here in uh, Arkansas, I'll turn on the radio, and it will be exactly halfway through the Humpty Dance from 1988. The odds of that are very, very low. But the odds that sooner or later there's going to be some kind of coincidence that's absolutely amazing, the odds of that are actually very high. And we can test this. Let's go ahead and try that. How many of you guys would be surprised if just in the first five or six rows, two people here had the same birthday? Would you be, would you be surprised? A little bit surprised? Like I tell you what, let's find out. How many people? We got maybe, maybe 25 people here or so. I tell you, what, we'll go ahead. If you hear your birthday, we'll go ahead and call it birthdays. If you hear your birthday, raise your hand, just stand up real quick. Mine's January 17th. What's yours? September 9th. September 19th. September 19th. 19th. Look at that. <laughs> oh, you're 19th. You said, wait, you're 19, you're 19, and you're 19. That's weird. So, so what are the odds? Ooh, what are the odds, right? Well, let's go ahead and ask. What are the odds? People think of our intuitive understanding of probability would say if you got 23 people, there are 365 days in a year, 366 if you want to count a leap year. And uh, so the odds are 23 out of 365, right? And if you got 35 people, then the odds must be 35 out of 365. It's amazing. The actual odds for two people in a group of 23 are 50%. And when you go to 35, it jumps to 85%. When you go to 42, it jumps over 90%. It's amazing. And so, and so this is a case of your intuitive understanding being wrong. Let's do another one. Who wants to help me with a little I idea here? I love uh, it little- so much. Uh, Brian is doing so many things right now. Our guest today, Brian Brushwood, is the host of Hacking the System over at National Geographic. He's also the host of Scam School, where he teaches you all sorts of social engineering stuff that you can do in bars and other intimate situations using scams and magic and principles of psychology. He's the host of a couple different podcasts or co-host, Weird Things Podcast, Night Attack, and Cord Killers. He's appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, CNN, Food Network. Uh, he's, done, he's done all sorts of stuff. He's done a lot of stage shows where he eats fire and does other kinds of crazy, uh, weird punk rock road show magic stuff. Also mixed in with the more heady stuff like what you hear in that thing. And he's also very active in the skeptic community where uh, people get together and talk about how to not be big old dummies. So, without any more introduction, here is uh, Brian Brushwood. Let's pick his brain. Ryan, um, 
How are you? <laughs> Holt cow. I've made a terrible mistake, David. <laughs> I, I should never remind me to never, ever become a fan of a show before I come on it again. Because if we had done this six months ago, it would be totally smooth. I wouldn't care. It'd be easy. But instead, I'm awkwardly running through cookie recipes in my mind <laughs> trying to figure out how to make you happy. I, I just made, we still have a, a refrigerator full of bourbon bacon uh, cookies. <laughs> they are. <laughs> well, now you're just rubbing it into my face. Uh, they're killer. They're killer. Um, what is keeping you uh, busy right now? I, I look around on your website and it looks like you're doing 62 different things at once. You know, that's the whole thinking in the beginning was like, if you want to win the lottery, buy as many different lottery tickets <laughs> as you can. But you don't you don't really think about what happens like, well, what happens if most of them pay off, you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden you find yourself running around, you know, one day you're you're doing a live stage show. The next day you're pretending to host a, a show on National Geographic <laughs> and the next day you're doing your YouTube series. And then the, the next three days you're doing podcasts and talking about patrons. It's uh, it's amazing. It's uh, I, I, I five years years ago, I had a very simple explanation for who I was and what I do. I tour with a stage magic show and occasionally talk on the internet. And nowadays it's gotten a lot trickier and I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Well, what is it? What is this hacking the system? It looks so cool. Is that, is that ongoing? What's happening with that? Uh, yeah, we did. We did a, well, we did uh, two specials last year on National Geographic, half an hour. And the idea was, you know, it, it sort of was born from the idea of what are what are all the things you're not supposed to know? And I wrote down an awful lot of stuff that would be wildly inappropriate to put on television. Uh, and National Geographic liked the idea. And, and obviously, you know, because they're responsible adults, they figured out like, well, why don't we tone down? How about we do less on hiding bodies and do <laughs> on travel tricks. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and when, so the show became a, a show about life hacking and about, uh, you know, getting the edge, whether it's, you know, how to find the fastest uh, line at the supermarket or talk your way out of a speeding ticket or, you know, I, 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 what is it every, all the experts know that, that you ought to know? Well, okay. So I'll look at one of them. Um, how do you get out of, how do you get around a no vacancy? Uh, oh, uh, ooh, that's a good question. Uh, well, first of all, everyone says, uh, okay, uh, there's a couple different rules here. And I, I don't know if you already have an answer in mind for this. Oh, no, no, but, no. I, I just saw your episode had a, mentioned it, so. Oh, sure. Uh, well, uh, well uh, uh, some of it is on travel stuff, but, but something I learned recently while we were shooting on this is that I, I believe, and someone could correct me because I know we have a, uh, an intelligent audience listening, uh, I believe that one of the things people don't factor in is that once you get into a hotel, I believe in many places, it is illegal for them to kick you out the next night beyond your reservation. So you can, ahead of a big convention or whatever, uh, you can get in and they cannot kick you out, uh, no matter how popular it is. And now, they can charge you the maximum rate, which is posted in your room, because you ever notice they've got, you know, most hotels have like a ridiculously high maximum rate that they can charge. Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is in the event that you move in and refuse to move out. So next time, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to mention a specific convention, uh, Dragon Con, but I'm just saying that it might be pretty good for, for someone in that situation. <laughs> uh, that's great. And you also talk about like waiting in line and how to do interviews and job interviews and just... <laughs> You know, you know, what's interesting is there's some stuff that, that we had to play coy around. And, uh, and I suppose now that the series is out, I can, I, you know, I, I don't think they can, you know, do anything to me now, but, um, like the, the real hidden gems, we had to kind of dance around saying, because for example, uh, on the whole getting, uh, skipping a line thing, you, you go to the, uh, airlines and you know, let's say there's a line wound around the block. For, and then there's no line for the first class section. Uh, if you, you can walk straight up to that first class section and ask the question, hi, how much is it for me to upgrade my flight to first class? And they will come back and say, that will be $1,200. You're like, hmm, that won't work for me. Uh, I don't quite have that. I wanted to make my daughter's birthday or whatever. What else can you do? And then they say, well, we can move you over to this area or that area. Uh, you know, we, we could get you in the uh, emergency row. You'll have a little bit more leg room. You want to do that? And you're like, yeah, that would be great. And uh, we, we presented it as just a trick to, you know, get a better seat. But the real trick, the thing that I wanted to highlight neon and that wisely, <laughs> uh, you know, the network decided not to make a big deal about is to me, the real trick is you can skip that giant line by and have genuine legitimate business by walking straight up to the first class, even though you're not a first class customer and just ask how much would it cost to upgrade to first class? <laughs> and now you legitimately have skipped the line. Right. And see, that's what, okay. So this is what I love about uh, 
all your stuff. And it's, you know, I feel like there's, um, there's sort of this, there's like a, an attitude among magicians and, uh, people who do sort of the, um, social engineering type stage work that you do. And, you know, you've got it, Penn and Teller have it, people like David Blaine, James Randi, all those people have it. And it's not like, it's not this stage swagger, like David Copperfield or Chris Angel, not to dis, not to diss on those people, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an everyday sort of confidence that's really unique to magicians that they seem to take in, in, into their interviews and their conversations and their dealing with the public. And, and it speaks to sort of this deep understanding of uh, how we're all kind of locked into patterns and we're locked into, we, we sort of uh, are on autopilot and how easy it is to be fooled when you're in that state of mind and how easy it is to be hornswoggled, not just by other people, but yourself too. Is that something that you have noticed as you've grown as an artist in this way and among the other people you sort of schmooze with in that world? Yeah, well, it, what's funny is, uh, and, and, and I, I hadn't really paused to think about it until this moment, but but I think I think you're right in that what happens when you do a magic trick is that you realize that what you need, the end goal is I need their eyes to match my eyes so that my fingers can do this move. And you start to learn little things like, oh, if I turn my chest towards them, if I look up into their eyes, if I ask them a meaningful question, if I half smile while I say this, if I make a joke about the Texas Aggies or whatever, all of these things, they're none, none of them are 100%, but each one helps to nudge the needle in your favor. And so that you get your goal, you get that uh, essentially, I don't want to call it mind control, but 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 certainly you create a situation conducive to people uh, looking at the right place at the right time. And I think, uh, you know, even now talking to you, I can feel myself entering that state. You know, I'm sitting up straight in my chair. I'm gesturing with my hands. I'm doing my best to speak in visual terms and, and punchy statements that get across things exactly. But on the inside, I'm also terrified because I'm intimidated because I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Hope I do well. Uh, but I think that magicians do, much like actors, uh, have they, they, they realize that there's a way to enter a headspace that, um, that, that works whether you're on stage or off stage. And there's enough things like, for example, one of the big things we talk about on hacking the system is when you get pulled over for a, a speeding ticket. Now, obviously, there's a million different factors that go into how one particular police officer is feeling at, you know, at any particular day. But... In general, you know, if I get pulled over for speeding, it's something like five or ten miles over the speed limit. And so I realized that the number one thing that I want to do is make the cop comfortable. My goal, and this is not my idea, this comes from the fantastic magician Mike Super. Uh, Mike Super was the one who made me realize uh, these cops, they pull people over, they cry, they whine, they, 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 they act nervous, and that puts them on edge. Why don't you do the opposite of that, about all that? Why don't you make them comfortable and get them laughing? And it started me off with the idea, like, I've never made a cop laugh and then had him write me a ticket when it was under his discretion to not to. So um, so in this case, you know, what I'll do is I'll pull over and I have, I have this amazingly ridiculous driver's license photo with a, when I'm grinning like an idiot and I've got crazy punked out here. And that often gets them to chuckle. But if they don't, they'll ask for insurance or whatever. And I'll say, uh, I say, well, officer, this is a rental car. Uh, I don't have my insurance on me, but I'm told this will help. And then pull out of my wallet a get out of jail free card from a Monopoly deck or something. <laughs> uh, and so, and, and again, it doesn't have to be a good joke, but, but what I'm really communicating is I am not threatened by this situation. I have nothing to hide. I am not worried. I hope that you have a good day and enjoy your time with me. And 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 in some way, that seems to short-circuit the regular interaction with a police officer, or at least did until I gave away this secret right now, live on the <laughs> This is one of the things that I, when I, when I emailed you, uh, I was thinking, this has been in my head for a while, and you can't help but notice, if you go to like Dragon Con and you go to the Skeptic Track, if you... Uh, keep up with like the people in that community, the the amazing meeting, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's so many magicians in that world, the world of like people devoted to organizations that do that think about critical thinking a lot. Um, and it, it feels like if you, I, I have this suspicion that you know you look in neuroscience and psychology, and they'll um, start to hone in on something like um, you know the human eye only really can get this uh, high resolution right in the very center of our vision. And then it gets very, very, very crappy as you go out to the ed toward the edges, way crappier than you would expect. Or, um, you know, we blink all day long and we also do those saccades where you move your eyes back and forth very quickly. And 
all your brain deletes every bit of that from your conscious experience. And so you end up with hours deleted from your day uh, that you don't even realize are, are missing at all. And all the stuff I've written about and talked about on the show for a while, it, it all kind of boils down to we're bad at certain ways of thinking or, and we're not great at perceiving the world around us in, in, in all sorts of different ways. But it's not that that's the, that's not really the problem. The problem is that we don't know those things are true and we don't really realize that those things could be bad. And it's the, the worst part of it is that on top of that, we seem very confident that we do know uh, all these things, or we would know if things were missing, or we would, we would catch ourselves if we were making mistakes. And it seems to me that magicians and people do social engineering and con artists and scam artists and all the people from that world going way, way, way back completely understand that. Like they've, Absolutely. they're totally in on, on the, on the secret and it gives them a tremendous, give them, given them a tremendous edge over the years. Uh, and, uh, I just wondered if that's, you see that it's the same thing. Is that, is that, am I on the right path there? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, well, and first of all, understand that, uh, that I am very, very fortunate, uh, to, you know, uh, come up as a magician, you know, now in, in, in the early 21st century, uh, it, magicians have a legitimate legitimacy in fooling people that they did not have, you know, 40 years ago when the amazing Randy first put his money where his mouth is. You know, it, it's if, if a magician is respected in any kind of scientific situation, it's because of James Randy. It's because of the work of Penn and Teller that, that there's even considered to be a place for uh, somebody to uh, essentially say, well, if you were going to try to pull a hoax, here's all the ways you would do it. If you were going to try to scam and lie and cheat and say you could move objects with your mind, you know, these are the places I would hide the invisible thread. Um, but uh, ha having said all of that, it's interesting uh, because I'll talk to some magicians involved in the skeptic movement uh, who, who uh, I think it's very, very tempting for magicians. I, I think number one is very flattering that magicians have a seat at the skeptic table. I think it's very important that magicians have a seat at the skeptic table. Uh, and I'm very honored that, that we are included in this work. Um, I think among some magicians, it's tempting to believe as a result of them having a seat at the skeptic table, that their work is capital I important. Mm. And, uh, and I don't think that's the case. I think it is important what we did and where we come from, but I think in the realm, in a world where we're now reading books like, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow, you know, by Daniel Kahneman, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that magicians are the folk artists of these cognitive illusions. I think that we are not the folks realizing how genetics works. We are the farmers who just have an intuitive understanding of the forces that we play with. I think that our goal is, you know, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that when I do this, they don't notice that I'm doing that. I, I, I notice that when I make, when I say this, it gets a laugh and, and we are, we are going forward with it. So I think we have a contribution, but I think, uh, you know, in a world where people are getting into fMRIs and experiencing, you know, these cognitive illusions that we manufacture when we do magic, uh, and, and other people, you know, do so through, you know, fraud. I think that it's important that we not, that we not overplay our hand, but, but yes, I mean, you're hundred percent right when you say that oftentimes what, you know, is astonishing to other people, magicians are like, duh, <laughs> right. yeah, it's called lying. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And, and it seems so natural for, for a magician to be like, to totally be like, no, 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 psychics, that's not real. Astrology, that's not real. Bigfoot, that's not real. <laughs> because you're, you're so clued into how easily people fool themselves. Cause I, well, well, specifically, here's the thing, is I don't think we have, as magicians, much better of a BS detector than anyone else. Hmm. I think that the difference is, once we read some evidence that suggests that we might have been fooled, we are quicker to give up ah, and okay. say like, oh. Oh, oh no, I get it. I just got fooled. Yeah, no, I've been here before. And I'm, and you're willing to just give up entire, you know, swaths, you know, in the, in the early days, you know, of, 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 of climate change, you know, it's like there were really, you know, there seemed to be very compelling cases made on both sides or whatever, but now we're in a place where, you know, at least on the uh, assessment side, it, it looks like it's fairly uh, settled and clear where we are. And it's like, oh, oh, I get it. I was fooled. Uh, well, now what? 
And, uh, you know, so, but now there's, a, there's this exciting new discussion about, you know, well, you know, is it better off to try to prevent this or to, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, do a barge, you know, you hear, I love all these harebrained schemes to fix climate change, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, putting a, a giant cloud that reflects 10% of the, uh, <laughs> of the sunlight uh, off, the, of the, off the planet. All, it, the more science fiction it sounds, the more I get excited to read about it. Well, that's, that's really interesting because um, I, I love the idea that farmers, uh, instead of, uh, instead of geneticists, that's, <laughs> I dig that well, idea. Because they're both doing the same thing in some regards, right? It's just that one has to very slowly learn it over, uh, over season after season after season, or in the case of magicians, performance after performance after performance. And he may never, he may never know about, you know, the difference between alleles and, and dominant and recessive genes mm -hmm. and so on. But yet he will, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this guy will provide you with the highest uh, yield crop of anyone in the region because uh, he's tuned into it. And I, and I do think magicians do the same thing only in, on the cognitive side of things. That's, that is, um, that's the best thing ever. I love it so much. And because, <laughs> you know, I, I, did, I dabbled in, um, I love card magic. And, I, and when I, in my early 20s, I, I learned a couple of the more difficult tricks. And every time I did one of those card tricks correctly and people just lost their minds like a restaurant or a party or, or with one person, um, I was always astonished at how easy it turned out to be, like how, how easy it can be to fool people. Because um, my misconception was always that um, people are, are a lot more savvy and more alert than, uh, than I realized they were. And so to pull off a card trick, I thought would require like this Ricky J level of card control and the sleight of hand. And there's lots of magic that does require that kind of skill. But uh, for the kind of stuff I was doing, it wasn't. And I found that the often the audience or just that single person on the receiving end of a trick like that, it was like they were doing most of the work for me. That's the beautiful part of getting into magic is that uh, the barrier to entry is astonishingly low. Now, understand, when you look at somebody like a, like a Ricky Jay, uh, you know, the reason that he is so well regarded is because he's able to do essentially the same trick I could teach you in about 15 minutes, but he can do it with a thousand eyes watching him, burning <laughs> right. his hands and, 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 and still do it and fool you. Whereas when, but, but of course the reason he's well regarded and the reason he's worked so hard to get in that point is because he wants to work in an extremely high stakes environment. Whereas if the stakes are as low as try this trick on your friend, you have literally nothing to lose. If your friend busts you halfway through a card trick, so what? You've got nothing to lose. So yes, try this ambitious thing, make a joke, look them in the eyes, and then make the move as obvious as you want because you only have one pair of eyeballs and they're not even looking at your hands. And, uh, and it is my hope, and this is certainly you know, the operating idea behind scam school, is that the, the more practitioners of an art you have, the more competition you have and the better the art does. Um, if you read Freakonomics, they, one of the questions they, they assess is, you know, if drug dealers make so much money, how come so many of them live with their moms? Or if actors are so rich and famous, how come so many of them are serving my coffee? And uh, the answer they came up with is because those are extremely popular genres and they are a tournament, which means anyone can get in, anyone can get started, but only the highest of the highest make it to the point where it becomes super profitable. And uh, if you look at a totally different art, for example, um, you know, in the 1950s, cheap electric guitars became available. And all of a sudden, everyone in suburbia was able to get an electric guitar. <laughs> they were all able to have a band. In the 1950s, it was just a lot of racket. But 10 years later, you had, you know, uh, the Beatles, you had the Rolling Stones, you had the Who. And... Uh, the democratization of entry elevated the art because all of a sudden people had to invent new branches. And there are some magicians who, who are not cool with YouTube making it so easy for people to learn magic. But a side effect of it is that we have seen in, in the last 10 years a branching off of a brand new form of magic that is not ever intended to be performed one-on-one -on -one for an audience at a paying gig. Instead, you know, it's it's essentially this amazing juggling. They call it cardistry, where uh, oh, yeah, yeah. people practice in front of their camera and they'll use the best take. And it is exquisite. It's like watching figure skating with cards. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, uh, to me, you know, the democratization of this entry not only is creating a generation of the best artists of magicians that we've ever seen, but it's also democratizing skeptical thinking and the ability to accept the fact that we're all this flawed wetware. Yeah, the flawed wetware thing. You know, the um, you say in, in in some of your lectures, you know, that it's not that people are dumb, it's that we're broken, and we're all kind of broken in a very similar way. But we don't. We just. We just, it's something that is not. 
intuitive and people don't like to say that they're wrong or they're confused or they don't know what's going on. And I, and I, I think in that regard, being a magician, once you live in a world where your job is to fool everyone. And once you, especially once you start making money, fooling everyone, all of a sudden you have, you have no negative thoughts about being fooled. Being fooled is what your richest clients does by you, you know, by your hands. Mm-hmm. And so once, once you don't feel anything weird about that, once you're able to say, you know, once there's no stigma to being fooled, uh, and, and in fact, that's one of the best things, you know, in a world where Penn and Teller, two of the most talented and well-read magicians on the planet, in, in the history of the planet, and in a world where they have the, the most popular show on the CW, and that show is literally the smartest, best magicians in the, on the planet being fooled, that right. tells you we can all be fooled, and there ain't nothing bad about being fooled. I love that because it, it's in that whatever your entry point into this kind of thinking is, the there's a sweet um, you know reward that comes from it, which is this humility, this really genuine humility about just being a person, being uh, you know made of meat, and there's certain limitations to what can and can't happen when you when you're made of meat. And, um, you go, your, your, uh, your whole series scam school, which everybody should check out. There's lots of it on YouTube. It's so neat. I mean, there's some of them are so simple. Like there's one where you put a quarter on a guy's forehead and you oh, just, sure. you just press in really hard and then you take the quarter off and you, t- and they think the quarter is still there and you make them bang their head on the table. That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic example because it points out the, the strength of magic is the strength of magic is not in the execution of extremely difficult maneuvers. The strength of magic is in saying the trick begins now when it's already done. So in the case of the quarter on the forehead, what you do, you know, you push really hard on their forehead. And, and if you want to know the secret, you, uh, you uh, wrap your fingernails around the coin as you push so that you push hard on the forehead for about three or four seconds. You pull it away in such a manner that they don't see it as it goes away, but they will appear to still feel it on their forehead. And now you act as though it begins when the trick has already happened. So basically every good magic trick is now we begin and you continue applying your false perceptions or or your your false uh, 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 ideas that you went into this with, even though they're no longer appropriate. So if the challenge is to get the coin off of your head without touching it and you believe it's there, <laughs> then you're already screwed. The trick's already over. You're going to come up with, with ridiculous – you're going to be beating your head with your fists and hand, slamming it on the table and so on. And, uh, I, I, you know, again, I feel like uh, in so many ways the ability – if you want to win a video game and you realize that um, – that you have just wasted the last hour because you're trying to go the wrong direction. You, you don't, you don't suffer from the sunk cost fallacy as, as uh, economists call it. You just, you're like, Oh, well, that's a dead hour. I'm going to go this way because that's the way the level wants. I think that some level of magic understanding allows us to do with that, uh, allows us to do that in scientific ideas as well. Easier. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And I love that, you know, if, if, if you're the person causing someone to bang their head on the table, or you are the person who is doing it like you it to me it feels like i can easily i can easily see the president doing this i could easily see an mit super professor doing this it, it's this uh absolute um uh, humility that, that 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 arises inside of you that you're like look i bet everyone would fall prey to this because this is how people work well, and, the and good- it, it helps you like you know it helps you. It gives you a better understanding of of our starting positions and why it's so hard to be a person in so many ways. And the good news is that we're already seeing that happen in the generation coming up behind us. You know, uh, I love reading Reddit and seeing how you know, no matter how strange the phenomenon that they're discussing, the first comment, of course, will be some kind of you know dick joke, and then the second comment, uh, most popular comment, will be. Um, a a link to a Wikipedia article on the various either argumentative flaws or psychological mm-hmm. defects mm-hmm. or or whatever. We we are seeing the first generation of human beings in the history of the universe that are growing up with the expectation that that they should not trust their eyes, that they should instead trust uh, the scientific method, which is wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a survival skill. It's a survival skill you have to have now because you can't just 
you can't trust the internet. <laughs> you have to. Well, and, and that's the funny thing, right? Is we went through a brief period where, you know, Snopes uh, was was the, the salve that we could apply to any of our grandmother's email forward. <laughs> right. But, but now anyone can manufacture their own Snopes. And so instead you have to go for, you know, some kind of large scale scientific consensus. Right. And people have to are starting to um, and I've had I've talked to several people about this. And this is something that seems to be uh, I, I can totally see this out there, the zeitgeist that people are having to rediscover the rules of logic. They're having to rediscover uh, what it means to have an actual argument and not a, you know, a, a shouting match, but an argument where two people learn from each other. And, and people are having to understand certain things that have to be in our vocabulary, like confirmation bias or survivorship bias, those sort of things, because that's what it takes to navigate the insane amount of information that's flowing into our lives every day. And that's just what it takes to be an internet citizen. And it is what it means. If you're going to join this weird thing, we are all making together. You have to have that level of um, literacy in the ways that people talk and exchange information or, or you're going to end up being, you know, like your grandma. <laughs> yeah, let, let, left behind. Now, the good news is if you are like my grandma or whatever, then there's a very comfortable bubble that you get to live in, you know, right, right. To, uh, to turn on Fox News and hear exactly <laughs> what you expect to hear forever, right? Uh, and and again, I could say MSNBC, it doesn't matter. But the uh, uh, th there's something wonderful. I, I Part of me wants to be feel gypped that it wasn't until age 25, you know, that the internet had advanced to a level that I could have all of my understanding of reality shattered as I realized that the one thing I thought for sure I couldn't be wrong about was my own memory. And instead, that is the first thing I distrust and, and, uh, and nobody trusts because nobody trusts other people's memories. Uh, I, I, man, I, I, I just, I don't know. It's just wonderful to me that we're seeing such a transformation. And I wonder how much, uh, how many advancements we're going to see in the next 20 or 30 years now that we live in the world of the instant fact-checking, now that we live in a world where even charities get graded in an easy-to-read easy format saying, well, here are the criteria that we think are important for a charity. Here's how much your money actually makes it to the good that you're doing. We don't have a dog in the fight what the cause is. We don't really care. And that flips upside down. Growing up, all that mattered was the story. Was the story good, not the efficacy? <laughs> and now that we live in an evidence-based, you know, uh, public good, uh, it's. It, I just couldn't be happier for the future. Well, I don't, before I don't want. We got off on the, like the longest tangent of all time, but I want to. Uh, I want to talk about scams for a minute because um, this is a unique opportunity to talk to someone who knows all about scams. I, when I um, when I met you at DragonCon last year, uh, you, I did a presentation about like survivorship bias and arguing, and you did one about. Scams, Sasquatch, and the supernatural, and you've uh, you've done a sort of versions of that lecture uh, around the country, and it's so good. Um, and I, I knew when I when I had you on the, if I knew if I had a chance to get you on the show, um, I wanted to talk about your deep knowledge of scams and scam artists and con artists and the like. And uh, I really wanted to know what got you what got you personally interested in that sort of wing of human weirdness. I suppose it's because I understood that, I mean, man, if, I, if I'm going to reduce, let me, I'm, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound dumb, but I want you to understand this is an 18-year-old thinking, right? <laughs> um, an 18-year-old thinks, I like magic. Magic is not cool. Uh, scams are cool, but they're criminal also. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then uh, to be honest, the biggest transform, uh, transformative moment for me was when I took a class called uh, Pseudoscience and the Paranormal at the University of Texas at Austin, taught by uh, the fantastic uh, Dr. Rory Coker. And it was, um, I did it just to get an easy way of filling my physics requirement. I didn't have to, to take any tests. There was homework that you had to do, but, but there was no physics knowledge. Uh, basically, it was a semester long greatest hits of pseudoscience. The first thing we learned about was astrology. And then, uh, and, and what's amazing is his biggest defense of, of the skeptical position was just to tell the truth about where astrology comes from. And it comes from the ignorant belief that, you know, when in a world where you didn't know that the world, that the earth was round, ancient Babylonians, you know, divided up, you know, they noticed that all the, the, the sun, the moon and, and all the planets ran along the ecliptic and they, you know, made up some stories about different, uh, um, you know, uh, constellations and whichever one the sun happened to be at the moment you were born. Well, let's apply those to you. And of course, and, and somehow telling the truth of where 
these things come from. When you find out that, um, and I always mix up their name, I want to say Doug Chorley and Dave Bauer, it may be reversed on those last names. But you know, when you find out that these two people in the 1970s just thought it would be a hoot to grab some rope and a two-by-four and stomp down some, as, you know, as they called it, cereal in the, uh, outside of the pub and make a circle, and then all of a sudden a movement happened because we lived in a uh, inefficient information structure where you know the internet didn't make it possible for us to fact check things and stories got picked up based on their strength of narrative, not on the veracity of their truth. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you have this amazing narrative of UFOs creating crop circles or whatever. It was utterly mind-blowing. And uh, it, it, I, in fact, I loved the class so much that I took it a second time, uh, not for a grade, but just to ghost it, because I hated the fact that I couldn't remember all the facts of it. I knew the story of it. I knew that that I was left being very skeptical about these things, but I didn't remember all the facts, so I wanted to get as many as I could. And then flash forward to uh, five or six years after I'd graduated, and I was so full of my touring schedule to colleges that I had these programming boards saying, you know, what else can you do? And I was like, well, I can give you a lecture about the greatest hits of skepticism, because that's where the money's at, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and wrote it. Unfortunately, I wrote this lecture, and I was so proud of myself. I just finished, and then uh, Penn & Teller launched their show on Showtime, and I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, bullshit. That's such a good, that show was so, like, at the time it came, like, right now, you know, that would be an amazing time for a show like that, but it came out right before, uh, you know, there was sort of the, um, the incubation chamber, I think, for that kind of show was available on 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 the internet and in the social media. But it was such a great moment for that to come out, and it was, I'm it's, I'm sorry that you were on that. Well, well I mean, and and again, because you know, after I wrote it, uh, and again, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. It's not like I did any of the original research, but I knew that uh, there was something to this message, and uh, I wanted to know where it could go. And unfortunately, where it could go was right in the Penn and Teller's pocket. <laughs> so what uh from your perspective like what like what is a good what is a scam like what is a scam as a phenomenon what is it Ah, oh, that's a really good question um uh, traditionally you know scams can mean any kind of intentional frauds and you know you don't have to do a fraud or be a fraud in order to understand the techniques of frauds. It could also enclose, um, you know, and capture the pseudosciences and claims of the paranormal. And it would have, you know, magic tricks, but it would be everything from stage magic to close-up magic right. to fake mentalism and that stuff. It just seemed like it was a bigger tent that had pretty much everything I'm fascinated with. Okay, so let's talk about some scams. Uh, so, like, there's because like you're saying, it, it, it's, it's sort of a, a big umbrella. So there's like, there are like scams like Bigfoot and crop circles, but there's also scams like pyramid schemes and shortchanging people. And so um, those up close scams that actually cause harm in the world, like uh, what are some examples and, and, and could you sort of like give us an idea of how they work and what goes into them? Because there's uh, things like shortchanging and pyramid schemes and um, I don't, I have no idea what this means, but Spanish prisoner and the pigeon drop, like that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Well, well, and I'll tell you the one thing they all have in common is that they rely on the mark having the wrong preconceptions after it begins. The trick is over before it even begins. For example, uh, let's say the lost ring scam. Uh, you're at, you work at a, uh, at a gas station. You see a well-to-do lady come in wearing you know, expensive furs and whatnot, looking all over the place, asking if anyone has turned in a, a, a family heirloom ring. The ring itself is not very valuable, but it has tremendous sentimental value, and she's looking for it. No, you haven't seen it? Oh, golly. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's my phone number. If you find it, I will give you uh, $500, no questions asked. Again, the ring is not valuable. Uh, you're not going to get that anywhere else, but it just means the world to me. Uh, thank you so much. And off, off she goes. And then before you know it, uh, you know, in walks Brian Brushwood, who uh, uh, is, is about to get a Reese's uh, peanut butter cup when he goes, oh, what have we here? And of course, it's a ring. And uh, the, uh, you know, the obvious move is, you know, you're like, hey, I know the lady. She said she'll uh, you know, give a $500 reward for it. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, well, whatever. I'm going to go pawn it. You're like, no, don't do that. You'll make more. Fine. Look, let's just split the reward. And he's like, nah, I'm, 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 I'm Brian Brushwood. I got a show to go to. I'm not going to split no. 
And he's like, he's like, fine, look, here, I'll give you half the reward right now. Here's $250, and then I'll, and then I'll get the rest later on. And then, uh, and then of course, you know, uh, you, nev- you call the phone number, and it never goes anywhere. So uh, variations of the scam involve a extremely rare and valuable violin that is pawned by somebody who, you know, is, is down on his luck. And, uh, you know, you find someone else who discovers that it's a rare Stradivarius worth thousands of dollars. And the guy says, well, I can't sell it to you because it's, it's currently in Hawk. I'd lose my license. He's like, uh, all right, well then, you know, here's my number. I'll give you a bazillion dollars for it. And when the guy comes back to get his violin, that's when, again, that, that the greed comes in. And because he's operating under the false assumption that this violin is worth thousands of dollars, that you find people suddenly willing to, to, to do things. I love those. I love those scams are, uh, have pedigrees to them. There's, a um, um, Darren, uh, Brown, uh, did a special with one of those scams of an old scam where they have, uh, you call or you email today, you would email, uh, like a thousand, a thousand people, like 2000 people. And you, t- and you just, uh, you pick whatever sport is popular in that culture. So if it's football, you tell everybody, uh, you tell half of the people in the, in the first pool of people that, uh, team A is going to win. You tell the other half, team B is going to win. And then after the results come back, you keep track of everything. And so you only call back the people who you told would win correctly. And then you do the exact same thing again. And by the time you get to the last game, the Super Bowl or whatever it is, you have a pool of people who may not be very big, maybe a dozen people, but every one of those people has so far the entire season has received a phone call or an email from you with the exact right answer with the, you've predicted everything with 100% accuracy. So at the end of it, you then ask for money to tell them who's going to win that. And well, you, and the you funny, get your money and you leave. Yeah. Yes. And, and the funny part is that uh, you could even be wrong in that last one. And then you'll, they'll still be on the hook because the problem is by the time they've decided to start giving you money, that has shut down the decision-making part of their brain and instead engaged the justification part of their brain because right. now they've entered the clubhouse of people who, who by their previous actions, you know, let's say, let's say, you know, this one you were wrong on, they'll look at where they are. They're like, well, I gave this guy money and I'm not a sucker. Therefore, it can't be a scam. So what it must be is that he was just wrong this one time. And then you, you kick in the part of your brain that remembers the hits and forgets the misses. And, and these guys can keep on going way beyond you know, the eight times that they were right. They're, they're on the hook forever. So why, do, so why do we fall for scams? Like, What is the anatomy of falling for a scam like that? I would imagine, and again, this is way outside of my uh, field of, of scientific expertise, but I would imagine it's the same reason that we're afraid of snakes. I mean, how many people nowadays you know, have anything to fear from snakes in, in their, their house? And I know a bunch of people right now are saying, like, I ran across a snake once. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That, that doesn't explain the, the 99 times that you jumped at a twig on the floor thinking it was a snake. At some level, it's a, it's a biological heuristic that causes us to, to make a shortcut. And uh, the, the problem is that there are ways to take advantage of that. Now, we, we love it when we see the, for example, the illusion of, you know, movies, 24 frames a second, close enough to reality for me. You know, uh, you show me 24 still images in a row, make it kind of look like something's moving. And my brain's like, will fill in the gap and say like, yeah, no, whatever. That's, that's real life happening over there. Uh, it's delightful you know, when we get these cognitive moments of surprise, when we watch a close-up magician or talented stage magician, uh, it's not awesome when using those exact same mechanics, we have someone stand up on a stage, look America in the eye and say, I'm going to connect you to your dead grandfather. Mm-hmm. So from your, in your world, what, what do you think about people like John Edwards, who seem to be like taking what is obviously, these are obviously you know, cold reading techniques and tricks that are, that are well known among magicians and, and doing weird, bad things with it. Like what is like to, it feels to me like, uh, astrologers, fortune tellers, psychics, palmistry, psychic surgery, uh, dowsers, all those people. And John Edwards, you know, all those kinds of people are taking what you do for as an entertainment, you know, thing and saying, and you're upfront and saying, I am going to trick you. And this is an illusion. And then they are somehow taking the, the same thing and pushing it into a place where people are less skeptical of it. Um, what is your thinking on that world? 
I let me say two things that are directly in conflict with each other. First of all, I'm going to say that if, uh, if you use magic tricks uh, to you know defraud people into believing that you are doing anything supernatural, that you have any kind of gift that puts you above them, uh, you're 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 a terrible person, and and I do not condone it at all. However, um, I also think or strongly suspect I I can't know because I'm not in their world. But I strongly suspect that at some level, all of them believe they're doing the right thing. Now, I mm. think that most of them believe that they, you know, they know when they're using the trick method to get the stuff, but they're all making little side bets. And you hear this all the time. You hear this from, for example, uh, mentalism is a form of magic where you create the illusion of having psychic powers, whether it's predicting things, whether it's reading someone else's mind or whatever. Um, uh, the the effect that you want to simulate is that you are able you know you're you're uh, freaking professor x right but what happens is is people do it enough and they 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 tell themselves the narrative of i think i really have this power and then they'll make these little <laughs> side bets and they'll say okay look i'm i am going to use this tricky magic method to you know peek at what they wrote in advance and that is you know how i'll conclude this performance but you know secretly I'm looking at this guy. I bet he said blank. And then sure enough, when he peeks, he looks and it says blank. And then at some level, some small level, they, they think, oh, my God, I really do have the gift. Mm-hmm. And, then they, uh, and then they go on to, you know, they finish the show. And then, and then quietly, once they've established that foothold in their mind of, well, I know I'm psychic because of, you know, in the past 10 years. I can name a hundred times that I guessed the the word before I peeked at it. Mm-hmm. So yes, I will continue to use this secret peek as my method, but in my heart, I know I'm a real psychic. So what I'm doing is real psychic powers, which means what I must be doing is really a good thing. And uh, I, I I think I think that's true all the way up to John Edward. I think I think when he. I think when, uh, you know, and, and there are allegations, you know, I'm not claiming anything, but the allegations are that, um, you know, he says he's so busy, he can't possibly get to your private reading for six months and for $5,000. Uh, and so they put you on the schedule, you know, as a, as a magician, it seems to me like if I had a six month head start and $5,000 budget, there's an awful lot about you I could find out through private investigators. Uh, but I, I, I think at the end of the day, I, I, I don't even believe that he thinks he's a bad guy. I think that he believes that he really has a gift through all of those little cognitive tricks that, that have tricked him into believing himself. Hmm. You know, uh, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll add it to the show after we finish talking. But I, I remember there, is, there was actually a psychologist who taught himself cold reading and uh, a couple of these other tricks. And he, um, in an effort to sort of try to understand how all this works psychologically, and I've, if I remember correctly, he fell into that exact same trap, that he, that he started to believe that, oh, wait, I think actually this is real, because he started to get it so such good results from I cold, totally from cold reading. Hey, dropping in here to tell you that the psychologist I'm talking about, his name is Ray Hyman, R-A-Y-H-Y, M-A-N. He was a magician beforehand. Then he moved over into mentalism. Then he moved over into cold reading. And his cold readings were so successful that he started to believe he actually did have psychic powers. People were so moved and seemingly uh, helped by what he was doing that he believed that he actually was a true psychic. And um, he was doing this for a while. Then he went on to become a psychologist. And while he was in school to become a psychologist, he had a colleague, a former colleague, a mentalist, named Stanley Jacks, tell him, look, here's how you can show that you're not actually psychic. Next time you do one of these palm readings or cold readings, just tell people the opposite of what you think you're understanding or the opposite of what's popping in your head. Whatever it is you think you're receiving psychically, tell them the opposite. He did that. People were just as amazed, just as moved, just as helped. And he realized what was happening there was the subjective validation, which is the psychological term for this thing, Subjective validation was working in both directions. It can fool both the person receiving the psychic reading and the person giving it. Okay, back to the interview. Well, think think about how our brains are built. Our brains are built, have evolved on purpose so that physical personal experience always trumps theoretical, Mm -hmm. right? So, (laughs) So if I tell you it is theoretically possible that this guy is a fraud and a charlatan, that will, that will make a wedge, you know, in your mind uh, as a disinterested third party. But if you are there and that freaking salt shaker moved of its own accord, it doesn't matter. It, it, physical, personal experience trumps it. 
Right. Oh, man. Okay, look, I could talk about this forever. I've, I've kept you so much longer than I said it would. <laughs> That's my uh, um, you've got this, the, if the scams Sasquatch is supernatural, there's a version of it out on YouTube. Everyone needs to go watch that. It's, it's so great. And you pull a lot of things together. There's some performance in it, but there's also just a ton of information. And uh, even if you uh, are somewhat familiar with all of this, um, you should watch it because you'll you'll connect. There's some synthesis there that you have never seen before. And also, if this, if this is like an entry point for you, that is a really great entry point for all of this kind of uh, talking about stuff and thinking and this whole world of um, scams and magic and skepticism and biases and fallacies and weirdness. It's great. I really loved it. And you've got scam school still going, hacking the system. What is coming up in the future for you? Man, that's a really good question. <laughs> we're uh, we're actually, I don't know, everything's rolling forward so quickly. We're trying to figure out what's next. So I got a bunch of, you know, uh, I, I'm, I I bought a new round of uh, lottery scratch-off tickets. So we'll see which <laughs> one of those pay off. If, if somebody wants to keep up with all things you, how do they do that? Uh, my name is Brian Brushwood, but the last six letters are S-H-W-O-O-D. So if you pretty much search that anywhere on Twitter. It's twitter.com, you know, slash wood, facebook.com slash wood, google.com slash plush wood. Uh, you should be able to follow me, but of course, uh, scam school is probably the safest bet to, uh, to always see what I'm up to. Man. Thanks so much for your time, man. This is so great. And, uh, I love your stuff. Thank you so much, dude. This is the best. I'm going to bring you cookies. <laughs> That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about in this episode, go to youarenotsosmart.com. For previous episodes, go to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever they put podcasts at these days, you will find this show. And also, boingboingpodcasts.com. You Are Not So Smart is part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts, and you can find more great podcasts like this one over at boingboingpodcasts.com. The opening music is Clash by Caravan Palace. This music is Banjo Apocalypse. Keep up with us on Twitter. It's at NotSmartBlog. I am at David McRaney. And on Facebook, it's just You Are Not So Smart. Support us on Patreon. We got a lot of new supporters after the series on the Backfire Effect. It's patreon.com slash You Are Not So Smart. We're getting closer to our goal of hiring a reporter. Thank you to everyone who has pitched in. Thank you to everyone who will pitch in. See you next time.